to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, business continuity, emergency management, well-being, resilience, anything that's relatable to those subjects, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. A couple of quick announcements. I will be speaking at the DRJ virtual conference uh, this fall, October 11th to 14th. I will also be emceeing as well. So I'm looking forward to that. November 3rd to 4th is the Business Continuity Institute's BCI World Virtual Conference. I will be speaking there and I will also be hosting two networking sessions and one panel discussion. And finally, December 1st to 2nd is the Continuity and Resilience Today Conference just down the road for me in Toronto, and fingers crossed, hopefully, uh, be in a position to be able to see other people. Thinking, uh, speaking of people, you might recognize my guest today. It is that oh. time again. Regina oh Phelps, God. welcome back. Thank you, Alex. As always, and it sounds like you are just everywhere over the next 90 days, so good for you, my friend. I, know. I hope you get to do something you know, face-to-face in Toronto in December, but you know, I'm not thinking that's going to be possible, but we can dream about that, right? Yeah, fingers crossed. You know, it would be nice. It's only down the road an hour away, so it would be nice to actually see other people. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, being busy, I can't believe people want this mug to actually be at their, <laughs> their event. Hey, and you're introducing me at DRJ, so I'm really happy about that. That's right, yes. Yeah, so that, that'll be interesting. Unfortunately, it won't be in person, but know. You know, still, it'll be fun, fun to introduce you. Maybe March in uh, Orlando. Yeah, fingers crossed. You know, something's got to happen soon. Right. So it's the COVID talk again and vaccines and <laughs> all the different things related to this pandemic. Oh, what's, you know uh, what's happening? Oh, Alex, you know, I just sometimes think that uh, every time we talk, I never really have these great positive. Well, maybe I've had a few, t- a few of those after. How many of these have we done? Oh, this is number. Oh, what, 15, something like that now? Yeah. Or I was just say maybe once or twice in that 15 series that we've done, I've actually been able to say, yes, maybe things are changing. But, you know, I, I can't really go there. But Yeah. You don't bang <laughs> yeah. your head on the wall so many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let me just, first of all, talk a little bit about, I'm going to talk about the U.S. and I'm going to talk about the world. And it'd be great, as always, if you talk about Canada. Sure. So let me, first of all, talk about the world and kind of where we are, uh, what's happening uh, across the globe. So there's a little bit of good news there. So the cases in most countries around the world have started a a, a gradual decline. Nothing, you know, sharp, but a gradual decline. And that's good. And I think there's some really interesting sort of tidbits about what's going on in the world. And the first is, you know, there's several countries that have actually tried to have zero COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Zero COVID. Uh, not many. So China, New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, and Singapore. And they have been aggressive, of course. And it, uh, the advantage of some of them, well, actually all of them except China, is they are an island. And so that does allow you to control a lot more of really what comes and goes out of your space. However, even they have had a really tough time trying to stop Delta. Even in China, which they have been aggressive in lockdowns and not letting people leave their homes at all, they have actually had, again, an uptick in cases. It's, and you've certainly seen, I think it's in Australia, they're what, in 12 weeks of lockdown in New Zealand, yeah. uh, Taiwan and Singapore, they've all really aggressively tried to stop the transmission of Delta. And that really speaks to just how effective Delta is in going from one person to another. Mm -hmm. And so that should be something that the entire world should really look look at. Like, oh my gosh, even these countries that are doing 
extreme measures to stop its transmission are not having much luck. Right. So lax measures, then how could you think the opposite? Right, <laughs> right, right. So if you look at countries now thinking about Europe and what's going on in parts of Asia, uh, the cases are now starting to drop in many of those locations. They're relaxing their their efforts to uh, keep things more contained. And again, I think what we're likely to see again is that spike back up because Delta is extremely effective in transmitting. And so globally, what's interesting also is that many of the countries that have started to go down, uh, look, the UK is a good example of that. They are kind of just hovering around the before Delta level. So they've never gotten you know, down below where before mm-hmm. Delta was created and started to transmit. So that just, again, gives you an idea. There's a lot of cases still floating around. And across the world, we're still averaging about 50,000 deaths worldwide every week. And that's 45 weeks in a row, which is pretty amazing. So globally, I would say to you that things remain tight. And the third thing I would say about that is the availability of vaccines in many countries. So you and I, of course, uh, live in a country that has lots of vaccine. Uh, That's not what most of the world is all about. And certainly what you see is places like Africa, where only 3% of the population has been vaccinated. It is heartbreaking. And if we don't work to solve that vaccine issue, then the variants that we have become very familiar with, uh, Delta, Alpha, Gamma, et cetera, are going to continue because wherever there's widespread transmission, including in the United States, you're going to see a lot more uh, possibilities for variants because every time Mm -hmm. a virus enters a body, it starts to mutate just by making copies of itself. So that's something we need to think about. Yes, not good at all. Uh, there, uh, uh, I'll add a, a good news thing. I heard um, the other day that Italy is now over 80% of uh, people vaccinated. And if uh, memory serves correct, they were one of the first really hard hit countries. Yes, they were. In fact, in March of 2020, Italy was extremely hard hit. And they were the place where that first variant came from that first major change in the wild virus actually happened in Italy. I just heard today, I was talking to a good friend of mine and they were telling me that now Italy has a requirement that you cannot work anywhere if you're not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Yes, I heard that too. That is quite remarkable because, you know, in Europe in particular, they have all kinds of labor laws that are, you know, it's impossible to remove somebody from a job And yet they are going to say that they give people five days from the final date of when the vaccine must be completed. And if they are not vaccinated, they'll be terminated. Yeah. No, no questions asked. Right. Yep. yep. I I think um, there's a premier of uh, the the province of Saskatchewan Mm. here, um, which would be what north of in the U S north. of. Yeah. So you're pretty much dead center. Yeah, it's relatively dead center, so that's like what, above the Dakotas, Dakotas, and, and the, yeah, that that kind of area, um, mm-hmm. or a little little bit west of that. But he said the other day, the time for patience is over. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me to hear Italy turn around and say, mm-hmm. you know, what it's it's implemented now. Get it? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and well, you certainly see that, of course, here happening in the United States. But let's hear about what's happening in Canada. What's going on in your part of the world, dear? Well, uh, we, uh, we've had 27,300 plus deaths now. That's what we're at. Uh, first doses, we are at 75% of the population. Wow. Uh, full doses are uh, just below 70%. So we, we're getting up there. Um, what seems to be happening is we're now running into that group of uh, people that don't want to get vaccinated uh, right. and things like that. And I know we're going to talk about that later, so I won't. Won't go into that anymore. Um, but overall, because of the Delta variant, new cases are up 16% over seven-day roll, rollout. Uh, active cases are up 13%. Deaths are up 34% because they've had a little spike recently. Mm-hmm. And hospitalizations are up 15%. So wow. Delta is now really starting to impact. Mm-hmm. Um, the province of Alberta, uh, which is uh, our the the second one west near the uh, 
for anyone who's not sure, yeah, British Columbia. Like the British Columbia, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, British Columbia, Alberta, I'll stay there first. They uh, were the first province to really open things up. Mm-hmm. They were rather aggressive on it. They got rid of all the mask mandates, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, two days ago, they went back. Mask mandates are now uh, put in place. Uh, their ICU units are, from what I'm seeing on the news and the way it's being described as basically overflowing now. Mm-hmm. They're running a risk of their uh, healthcare system in Alberta crashing because there's the spike is becoming too much for them to manage. Mm-hmm. The province of uh, British Columbia, who's having their own issues, uh, beside them said, we can't take the overflow from Alberta. And other provinces are saying that too. No, wow. we're, getting, we're getting our own spikes. We can't help. We can't even send you people because we're getting our own, wow. own issues. Uh, the province of Ontario, where I live, we had a premier who, as well, who was, he, he did a little slower. I'll, I'll, I'll grant him that. Uh, a little slower opening up, but he didn't want vaccine passports. And we'll probably talk on that too later. <clears throat> but now he's uh, turned around 180 on that and, as of, uh, I think it was uh, a week ago, about a week ago, um, you now have to prove that you have uh, your two two shots to be able to get into theaters or gyms or restaurants hey. and things like that. And uh, they, the government is working on an application uh, on the uh, health, the Ministry of Health level that has a, rec- you know, a record of everybody's health, of course, and status. And mm-hmm. they're going to have an application you're going to be able to log into and just have it on your phone, say, mm-hmm, I've been vaccinated. Mm-hmm, you know, that's not mm-hmm. expected for another month or so yet. And considering it's the government, I'm not expecting it till the new year. But, <laughs> you know, so, sorry, I didn't say that. But um, but so that's happening in the provinces. Um, vaccine, the passports we'll talk about later on. Do you expect any vaccine mandates federally? Like for um, the United States? I believe, you know what, I can't remember... As I'm sitting here right now, I cannot remember if they've mandated for um, all government employees or not. I know mm-hmm. many other companies are now starting to do it mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. adding it to their list of you right. know, things you can't uh, you can't bring into the office, so to speak. You can't bring yeah. COVID. Yeah. You know, you got to prove you know that uh, you know almost like a security check. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know that uh, you haven't you're not working for a financial institution, and yet your background shows that you've claim bankruptcy twice, you know, that kind of a thing. Yep, so yep. Um, I know there are some places that are doing that. And I can't remember right now if the government has done that. Hmm. I, th- I know there are quite a few on the city level that have done that in Toronto oh. and many other cities. Um, lo- so local employees, and I think some provincial employees, uh, depending on what it is they're doing, have been mandated, you must get your shots or you some sort of a disciplinary action. Um, that hasn't been outlined as to what that would be yet. Hmm. So uh, some places have mandated it now, and it seems to be happening more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of time, I'm sure, until the federal level turns around and say, okay, enough, right. everyone get it. Right. So uh, there are some, a few other updates. Oh, actually, I will give this one. Um, uh, Health Canada has given full approval now to Pfizer and Moderna. Hmm. So, oh, so both, that's great. We still, we yeah. still, ours is still just Pfizer. Yeah, so, so that's great. Yeah, so that that was good, and they only just did that. Uh, what's uh, what's the date today? Yesterday. Yeah, they just did it yesterday. So that's that great. Was, that was a good thing, and for some reason, I don't know why they renamed them all. We all know them as the Pfizer shot and Moderna shot and AstraZeneca, and I know those are the brands, but that's the only way anyone's going to remember them after a year and a half. They're not going to remember Com Cominardi Comin. Right. Whatever. I don't know what First of all, is how do you pronounce it? I As do a, like the one, the the one that Moderna has. What is it called? Spike Vax. Spike Vax. I like that. That's that one over right? I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> that it's very funny. I heard an interview with somebody um, uh, yesterday, uh, and they were act- talking to people on the street, and they were asking them, "So, you know, have you been vaccinated?" And they talked to this one woman, and said, "No, no, no, I'm not going to. I'm not. Va- I'm not getting vaccinated. Uh, not with that Pfizer stuff." But I heard. This is what was really funny. I heard that there's a new vaccine called comorbidity or something or core for, you know, whatever it was. And I'm going to get that one. And I thought, oh, that's so funny because <laughs> it's the same. It's, it's the, the same. Yeah. You say it. yeah I, may, maybe it's uh, 
maybe Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Moderna come with uh, you know a dark cloud over just those names. So mm-hmm. rebranding mm-hmm. it, all of a sudden, people if, if they don't make that connection, see it right. as something new. Right, you know? right. I, I I find it impossible to pronounce so many of the new pharmaceutical drug names, and I just wonder, like, how do they? How do they make these names up? Do they have like a drinking contest or? Well, or I think that's how game? I think that's how Moderna got theirs was a drinking contest. <laughs> yeah. Like right. Like, okay. Hey, you know, I can see the ads right now. So I think it's actually a catchy one. That one I can remember. All the others, not so much. Yeah. I I can't even pronounce them. And I, you know, I wrote, I printed it out so that I could read it. But even still looking at it, it's like, no, it doesn't make sense to read it. It doesn't flow off the, you know, the tongue properly. Right. Oh, wow. Right. Right. So what's happening in the uh, U.S. then? Um, I have lots to say, but maybe uh, since we're close to 16 minutes, maybe we should stop and you could take Take a break. Okay. Yeah. We are talking with Regina Phelps today about all things COVID and we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about all things COVID. Regina, so we left it. What's happening in the U.S.? Well, my goodness. So there's lots going on here, of course. Uh, We are just starting to see the relief of the surge that's been burning through the southern part of the United States. So Texas and Louisiana and Alabama and Florida have been a mess for over really 60 days, but they're just starting to see a change uh, with a decreased number of cases. Their hospitalizations are starting to tick down. Their deaths, of course, are going up because they've had these cases for uh, some period of time, and many of those people have been hospitalized and or just really lingering uh, until they died. So their death rates are going up. And now what you're seeing in the U.S. is that it's pretty much the mid part of the country. So the Tennessee's, Kentucky's, uh, West Virginia's, et cetera, and unfortunately, up into the north, the northwest in particular. So Idaho, Mm -hmm. Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, which, of course, touches the border of Canada, yesterday announced critical care standards in all hospitals in the state, which means that they may not be able to help you at all if you have a heart attack, get hit by a car, have a car accident, because they have literally no staff, as you were describing in Canada, having a similar 
problem in some places. And but that's a statewide in the in the state of Idaho. All uh, you know, uh, elective surgeries and elective procedures have been canceled. So people with um, really you know life life threatening conditions like maybe needing a stent in a heart or something like that can't get it there. And so that's a, a significant shift. And this is all being again driven by the Delta variant. So the South is cooling off. It's come to the middle, and now it's peaking up to the north. What's interesting is in my state. We have a very high vaccination rate in California for having 40 million people, uh, more than the nation of Canada, right? More than us. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and so we have been actually so far knock on something. Uh, we have been really fortunate to have, for the most part, a modest tick up in our case counts to date. And what I find interesting is that in places with really high vaccination, whether it's in the United States here, uh, or any place in the world, there is still opportunities for Delta to infect people. So that's a big concern. What the big news, of course, is since the last time you and I spoke is the fact that President Biden has declared a vaccine mandate for employers of over 100 persons. Now, that's actually not in place as of yet, but it's been given to uh, the Department of Labor OSHA, which is our safety uh, agency, has been tasked with developing the rules of how that would be implemented. And there's lots of questions about that, of course, and those are hopefully going to be answered in those rules, and some of them are complicated. But the, the net net is that you're going to be required to be vaccinated if you have over 100 employees, if indeed uh, you elect not to, and there's there'll have to be caveats, and they have not stated what those would be, whether that's a religious issue or possibly a health condition, you will have to be tested weekly. Now, you know, I, we've talked about testing many times, but the thing about testing is it is really, remember, just a dipstick in time. So mm -hmm. it's, it's in some ways you have some sense if that person certainly might be infected, but it's not going to really tell you. I mean, you could be tested today and be get infected tomorrow, and then you still have six days that you could be at work, right? So but the other thing that's really more complicated, perhaps, is to how that testing is going to actually be structured and organized. Is it going to be the employee's responsibility? Is it going to be the employer's responsibility? Who pays for it? And on and on and on. And then to further complicate that, if all of a sudden we have this gigantic uptick in weekly testing in many different locations around the country, our labs are not sufficiently able at this point to mm -hmm. even sort of manage the daily surges we're having, let alone all of a sudden, you know, potentially millions perhaps of people getting tested. So that will be a challenge for us. Mm -hmm. I've also noticed with um, <clears throat> the current situation, uh, there's more and more, uh, I know we've said it on the show before, younger people getting it. Yes. Uh, however, what I'm seeing is it's not just the 20, 30, 40-year-olds. We're seeing an uptick it, in the, well, teens and the yes. preteens and you know, <clears throat> whatever that you know, zero to 10 age group is called. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and actually, I, I pulled out some numbers just so I could be accurate with that. So currently, you know, there was a, a big uh, conversation during the Trump administration that kids don't get COVID. But in reality, as of uh, September 2nd here in the United States, there's been over 5,300,000 children under the age of 18 that have gotten COVID. Uh, and that's about 15, almost 16% of all persons in the United States who's actually gotten COVID. That has increased almost exponentially really since um, the last uh, four weeks. It's gone up 28%. Since school opened. Right. Since all school opened. Exactly right. And I think one of the wild cards, you know, we're always trying to forecast, if you will, what it's going to be like in the next few weeks or months. And the real wild card here right now in the United States is really this combination of how many people are going to get vaccinated and will this mandate begin to really make a difference? And then secondarily is the impact of schools reopening. There's already been a school district in um, my in Florida, in Dade County, where they've had 13 staff people die of COVID since the school year opened. Those are bus drivers, people that work in a cafeteria and teachers. So 
Delta is spreading in those schools and some schools don't have a mask mandate or won't let kids wear masks in some more um, conservative leaning states. And so that's going to be a big issue. And kids are getting sicker, not just the fact that they're getting COVID, they're getting sicker, they're being hospitalized, they're dying at higher rates now than they have in the entire pandemic. And I, I would hope or think that if all of a sudden kids really started to bear more of the disease burden, perhaps that might inspire people to get vaccinated, wear masks and do that, do the more proper things, if you will. But yeah. we haven't seen that necessarily change yet. Have yeah, you had more kids be sick in Canada too? Yes, there are uh, more youngsters catching it now. There are cases uh, here in the province of Ontario that we're hearing uh, people um, catching it. I, I haven't heard of a death yet, oh. um, but that doesn't mean that hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but young kids are getting it. In fact, um, one school, it's either school or the school district in British Columbia has had to close. And it's now at home learning because they, their outbreak all of a sudden just exploded. Mm -hmm. So the, we're seeing the same thing about some schools now being closed down. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and everybody has to wear a mask in, uh, in, in this province anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that because my nieces keep telling me, you know, they have to wear their mask every day. Their teachers are wearing a mask. <clears throat> they don't socialize at lunch. You know, nothing. So... It's really, uh, we are seeing an uptick. Uh, I don't know how big that uptick is going to be yet. <clears throat> Losing my voice today. Because schools only just opened a week and a half, you know, two weeks ago at the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I think, uh, I think that that's going to play out over time. And I think that is one of the wild cards that we're going to see here in the States and obviously in Canada as well, is that what's going to happen with transmission. And I think this is really asking... Um, parents in particular to really think about what kind of masks they send their kids to school with. Because as you know, uh, COVID is an aerosol transmitted disease. And the most important thing you could say about protecting yourself is ventilation, 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 right? Good ventilation, which can be challenging in colder places like Canada because you can't necessarily open up the windows and you don't necessarily know how good the ventilation might be. So that's a big issue, I think, for parents in any place in particular where it really does get cold in the winter. That has to be a, a big priority. And there's all kinds of uh, different ways that you can kind of jerry-rig almost uh, having better ventilation by... Uh, putting in box fans in windows and schools and putting in a MERV 13 filter on it and literally filtering the air uh, as, it, as, it's, um, as it's moving through the classroom. There's lots of different things, but parents are going to need to really pay attention to that. And of course, when you look at disease transmission in schools, then you're looking at that disease coming potentially into the workplace and of course, greater, greater into the community, as you mentioned. And then of course, a surge can really build out of what happens in a school. So I think when I look at what could happen in the U.S., the big thing is schools, schools, and schools. And then followed behind that really is, is what's the uptick going to be in vaccinations for those people who are currently not vaccinated? And here in the United States, there are 75 million people who could get vaccinated, but have elected at this point not to for the time being. That's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. And so that's a huge concern. And then the last thing I think is going to is going to really depend on if there's any new variants that appear. And currently right now in that variant race here in the United States and probably the same in Canada. Delta is by far, by far the winner in transmission. It is highly effective. And it used to be that you could kind of walk into a room and you'd be there for a half an hour before you actually had gotten a significant enough dose of the circulating virus to actually become ill. Uh, that's about down to around five minutes with Delta. It is just that transmissible. So mm -hmm. that's a significant issue. And what's, I guess this is the only good example of why that's been helpful is that there are two other new variants of interest. One of them is Lambda, which came out of the, uh, Peru. And the second is Mu, which came out of the country of Colombia. Uh, both of those are a little bit more deadly, a little bit more making you a little bit more sick. And secondarily, has a little bit more uh, uh, capabilities of evading a vaccine but it's not as transmissible. And so here in the United States, we have each one of those variants of concern throughout every state 
However, it doesn't seem to have much legs against Delta, which is good, I guess, right? Yeah, I'd rather rather us not have another one. You know, right. Well, <clears throat> right, right. And I and and as you well know, we've talked about many times that the bad thing about transmission is is that the more transmission you have, the more opportunity there's for a variant to develop inside anyone who is sick. Mm-hmm. So viruses are constantly mutating. They're constantly making mistakes. Uh, and so when, they, when they're replicating themselves, and so therefore, oh my gosh, all we need is one example of somebody to have a virus that it mutates in their body, comes out, gets passed on to somebody else, and it's like Delta, only more deadly, and evades vaccines. Yeah, we don't need that. We it's don't need that. It's interesting you mentioned the 75 million not getting a vaccine and seeing if some of the the impact of um, seeing children makes a difference on those 75, right. 75 million people. What we're seeing now, we're starting to see more people requesting a vaccine. Mm, They've been reporting great. it on the news that all across the country, they're seeing um, an uptick in people now requesting Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's twofold. One is because they are seeing now the impacts of Delta variant. But mm-hmm. two, I think, and we mentioned this months ago, I think some people feel pressured now because of the vaccine passports and having to prove what you can do. They want to get back into normal society. Well, mm-hmm. then go get your shot. And I think right. the combination of those two of what they're seeing on, on the news with Delta and what they won't be able to do if they don't get their shots I think now um, that's contributing to part of the uptick now mm-hmm. to to get more. So hopefully when we talk next month, we'll see that the uh, the percentages that I mentioned earlier uh, have see if they've gone up uh, anything that's you know more than just one or two percent at a time to see if there's some sort of a significant real uh, uptick. We are we are slowly moving up. So you you have really outperformed us in a long shot here, really, Alex, it's quite amazing. Our fully vaccinated uh, population is just 63%. And our one dose population is 74. So you have surpassed us. And, and as we both know, you have to get both doses. And to be honest with you, if you only got one dose, a chance of a variant developing in somebody who has kind of a, a somewhat of of a, a more advanced immune system, but not a fully robust immune response is more likely. So people that are only having one shot of a two-dose vaccine have an environment internally in their body that's going to be more permissive because there's more, if you will, a pressure on the virus to continually change in order to be able to survive in that person. And that's a problem. That's yes. a problem. Now, vaccine passports here in, in the United States, uh, there are several states that have them. In my state, there is one, uh, and it's an app on your phone. New York has one. There's a couple of others. But for the most part, they have not caught on. And I think of, 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 uh, for us, it's been a lot about the political pressures uh, of our mm-hmm. country. There is, however, some states and some cities that have really started to push mandates. And so in my town, we were the first city in the United States that required Uh, a vaccine passport, if you will, which could be the little CDC card or the California app. And in that case, you had to present that and you do in California to go to a bar, a restaurant uh, in many cities. So my city was the first one that required that. Los Angeles is now doing that. And there are other cities in my state. Same thing in New York City. So you're going to start to see that larger towns in particular, especially those like us who are more densely packed, are going to want a vaccine passport because people aren't going to go to restaurants. They're not going to go to bars. They're not going to go to gyms. And now there's also increasing in some areas like uh, soccer matches and football games and basketball games that you have to have a vaccine passport in order to buy a ticket and actually uh, have admission into the, into the venue. And I think that's actually great. Yeah. And, and it's not going to be forever. Right. That, that's, that's what some people tend, seem to be interpreting it as. You know, mm-hmm. passport to be able to do anything for the rest of their life. No, this is a measure to combat what we're facing right now. Right, right, you know, absolutely. And that's COVID. It's not going to be forever. And some people, it seems, also forget that, um, I don't know about in the U.S., but I know up in Canada, when we went through all of our, you know, grade one, two, three, four, five, whatever, your needles, you know, that kids have to get are tracked. So right. you already had a vaccine right. passport. 
Right. Yeah, it was already there. COVID right. has just been penciled in under the bottom you know, on that right. list right now. Right. So it's right. no different than um, than what already exists. You know? Right. And go ahead. No, I was just going to say the only way out of this, and you and I know this and I've talked <clears> about it forever, which is, is immunity. The only way out of this is immunity. And the most, the most successful way to achieve immunity is to actually be vaccinated. Even in people who have had COVID, they still recommend that you get at least one dose of an mRNA vaccine in order to really give you a robust response. So that's the key thing that people have to think in the back of their mind. The only way out of the pandemic is actually a vaccine. Mm -hmm. You know, fighting and arguing about it's not going to do it. That's just prolonging it. Right, right. And we certainly have seen that here in the United States. And I'm sure you have probably a certain amount of anti-vaxxers in Canada as well. Yes, actually, we just had some uh, people who weren't happy and they were protesting in front of hospitals. Which hospitals? I was, which I thought was, uh, I, don't, I don't care what anyone says, you can send me an email, but I thought it was despicable. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. no, a hospital is a safe place for anybody and everybody. Right. You know, they, they, there's not just COVID patients in that hospital. There are cancer patients and mm-hmm. people suffering from many other ailments. They don't need to have their their place, which could be the last place they ever see, mm-hmm. you know, picketed and people protesting outside or and yelling at doctors and nurses and other staff as they come in and out. No, that that that's despicable. In, in you know my- what I, and and to <clears throat> me, what I also then uh, toss into that. Uh, conversation as well is the issue of the healthcare workers, the physicians and the nurses who are fried, burned out. Beyond that. Beyond that. (laughs) Right. I mean, here in the United States, um, uh, there's a website that the HHS, which is our Health and Human Services Agency, publishes, and it shows how many hospital beds are available, how many ICU beds are available. There are often uh, examples in states where the state itself says there's no ICU beds available, and you'll go to the HHS website, and it'll say, oh, gosh, you know, 20% of the beds are available. Well, there's a reason why there's that discrepancy in numbers. They don't have the staff to fill those other 20% of the beds. And having a bed without an ICU nurse is like having no, no bed, right? Yeah. So, and that's because people, I mean, I have a lot of friends in medicine. My, my background's originally in nursing. And I will tell you, there are a lot of people I know that are just done. And I have friends who have quit and they are not going back. Yeah, and I yeah. think as this goes on and on and on, and if they're treated disrespectfully and uh, harassed, uh, then they're, they're not going to stay in the profession. And that's not just for this COVID period in our life. That is going yeah. to be a huge shortage of medical personnel for a very long time. Yeah, we're talking, uh, you know, it's what a doctor takes a doctor 10 years or something to become actually a fully fledged right. doctor. Right. You know, the, the, so that would mean uh, the least impact is the next decade. Right. Right. You know, that, that's massive. Anything could happen right. in that decade. Right. And the other thing I would say to you is that just like in nursing or being a physician or being a laboratory person or an x-ray tech or a respiratory therapist, you get your degree and you go through your, your rotations and your internships, et cetera. But then you actually get into practice and you only really, I mean, then you have to learn. I mean, then you learn, right? Cause yeah, you're on the yeah, job. Yeah. And so you, it may take you 10 years to get through all of that training, but then you've got another 10 years before you really are really, really good. Right. And yeah, yeah. that's a long time to have that kind of expertise missing in our healthcare systems around the world. It's not just here in the U.S. I know this yeah. exact thing is happening everywhere. Yeah, it's a dangerous predicament we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today, and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. 
The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, we had uh, on break, actually, we just had some breaking news. You want to tell us about it? I do. So uh, here in the United States, today is September 17th. The FDA was meeting to determine whether booster shots would be necessary for the Pfizer vaccine. And they have resoundingly, I'm just reading my news bulletin here, FDA advisory panel rejects widespread Pfizer booster shots. And it was on my list of things to talk about with you. And I Mm -hmm. want to talk about that because people are probably going to be very confused. So um, you've seen, I'm sure, the news reports of, especially in Israel, which was is, is 100% Pfizer, that they have actually noticed a waning immunity in some age groups, particularly older people. And I'm talking in the 75 plus, 65 plus range. And so that's made people anxious, I think. And there's also been, when you look at a country like Israel, which has such a high degree of vaccination, and there still are cases there, and they've had a Delta surge you think, well, why isn't the vaccine doing its job? Okay, so part of this was a marketing uh, problem, I think, initially when the vaccines were actually rolled out. Vaccines jobs, vaccines jobs are to prevent serious illness, hospitalization and death. And I think in the joy of seeing that they had a 90 or 95% efficacy rate in a trial, everybody was saying, oh, great, this means I am never going to get sick. Well, the bad news is, is that you might get sick. And at some point, you will very likely need a booster. But there, the science is not there now, today, to support giving boosters. And I'm, as I mentioned to you on the break, I'll be happy to give you some links that you can have on the site. Uh, there's an article that came out uh, in The Lancet on Monday this week that talked at length in easy to understand English, not medicalese, about why boosters are not at necessary at this time, because there is still sufficient immunity in the vast majority of people. Now, there might be boosters appropriate for two distinct populations. One are those that are immunosuppressed. So people that might have a solid organ transplant, like a lung transplant or kidney or something like that, because they take immunosuppressive drugs. There is also another group of people in that category, which might be people on cancer therapies, chemotherapies, Uh, Also, some HIV drugs as well. Now, um, the other group would be people that are older, 75 plus with comorbidities. Now, those two populations, the immunosuppressed and the older 75 plus, very likely should be getting a booster. I haven't read what the FDA said since we've been talking, but that's very likely what they're going to recommend. So, I think the thing is that now, why did Biden, for example, say, oh, my gosh, Let's give everybody boosters. I think that was, again, following the newspaper kind of stories about Israel more than anything else and not the actual science of what's going on. And I guess the last thing I would say to you is that when the trials first came out for Pfizer and Moderna, remember that there was a set idea that the manufacturers and researchers had that you had one shot 
And then you waited three or four weeks and had a second, and that would complete the series. If this would have been a regular vaccine at a regular time, they would have done a variety of different dosing schedules. And they would have probably very likely come up with the solution that this is a three-dose vaccine. The primary dose, probably waiting two or three months like you guys did in Canada for the second dose, because your immunity is going to be higher than ours because of that weight. And then probably a year later having a third. And then very likely maybe every five or 10 years, having a booster. Like, you know, you have to get a tetanus shot every 10 years. You have to get polio every 10 years uh, if you travel outside the U.S. I mean, there are certain vaccines you have to get on a regular basis. And we kind of forget that. But that's the kind of the logic behind the, 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 the scheduling, the dosing. So because we were in a rush to get this thing out, they didn't experiment with different dosing schedules. So we got the one we got and, um, and maybe another one would have been slightly better. And that's why yours, your immunity in Canada and the UK, which delayed the second dose for about 90 days, is probably better than somebody in the US that actually got it on the schedule of the manufacturer. Interesting. You mentioned tetanus shots and things like that. I've yeah. heard that up here that they're thinking of just adding that as part of your, either your regular, if you go for a, a, a yearly checkup, mm-hmm. just getting your, mm-hmm. getting a needle then, because yep. usually when you get them anyway, right, or right, right. making it part of the flu shot, the mm-hmm. annual flu shot, mm-hmm. um, or the, you know, adding it to, if it's, you know, every 10 years or so, then adding it to those shots that you get every 10 years as well. And right. just not even asking, uh, you know, permission for it, or, you know, do you want the needle? It just becomes a part of it. Part of you your know, one needle that covers, you know, 20 things and COVID mm-hmm. will just be a part of that. The, you well, know, here in the United States, there, there was just a CDC um, webinar that I went to last week on this very issue of combining a COVID vaccine with a flu vaccine. And so here in the States, they will not be actually putting them in the same syringe. So you're going to get two needles. But mm-hmm. if you are not currently COVID vaccinated and you decide that you're going to go get COVID vaccinated, and we are now just about really entering into the time when you should be seriously looking at your flu shot, mm-hmm. uh, I would encourage that any of your listeners get both at the same time. The only thing the CDC said is that you had to have them at least one inch apart on your arm, but you're getting two shots. But I would also just say to you, and, and that's a really good uh, example that you mentioned about regular vaccines. We are in the flu season at the we're at the very beginning of the when the flu season can start. The flu season generally runs from September all the way to April. It usually is the worst uh, statistically. I think of the sixty years the CDC has been tracking it, it's usually the worst in December, January, February. But you need about a month of immunity from your vaccine to give you protection. And so it's really important that your listeners start thinking between now and certainly the end of of, uh, October, they should look at getting their flu vaccine. It's expected that this year the flu could be worse, not because the virus is worse, but because we are so uh, out of circulation, so to speak, that if you are met with the flu vaccine or the flu virus, you're very likely to get t- knocked on your on your rear end because it's going to be a lot more. Because we haven't been around any, we haven't been around any people for the most part, right? I don't know about you, but I haven't been around anybody except my husband. Uh, not very many, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I mean, you don't, you know, normally in the course of your day, think how many planes you're on, how many stores you go to, restaurants, etc. I mean, you're exposed to all kinds of things every day. But we don't do that anymore, at least not currently. And so, therefore, you're very likely to have a, a more severe case than maybe you normally would. Yeah, I plan on getting my flu shot this year. Um, Good. I, I, I have to go. You know, I go for a check. My my birthday's in November, so I, every year yeah. I get a, a physical. So mm-hmm. in November, when I go for my physical, I automatically say, and give me my needle. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> do it Good. all at once. You know, That's great. I don't have to make a plan or, or worry about anything. So, you know, um, I'll be making sure I get that this year as as last year. Very good. I'm happy to hear that. Well, you know, the thing I just want to mention, because I know we're close to ending, is that the thing about the flu vaccine that I always like to remind people is, is this is a this is not a live virus vaccine. So when people say, oh, you know, I got the flu shot and I got the flu, there's no way you can actually get the flu from being vaccinated. Uh, what may happen 
is that you got the flu after you had the vaccine and two things could have occurred. One is that the vaccine uh, is made about nine months before it actually gets in your arm. The recipe is selected with a group of scientists because it takes that long to make it because it's still made in eggs, amazingly. And, um, and so it takes a while for the, the, the vaccine to be made. And so the virus is mutating every single day. And so what happens is by the time it gets to your region of the world, it could have changed and you won't have a perfect match. And secondarily, the other issue is, is that sometimes what happens is that when you got the flu, the flu vaccine prevented you from actually getting sicker because it did provide you some immunity. So when people say to me, oh, I got the flu shot and I still got the flu, it's like, oh, you know, it could have been worse. So still yeah. get your flu shot is yeah, my can recommendation. Imagine, can you imagine what, would it, what could have happened to you if uh, by chance you didn't get your flu shot and you got that mutated flu virus? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want all of our all of your listeners to be healthy and well in the course of this winter, not just from COVID, but from the flu and other things. So getting the jab for the flu and COVID is really important. Well, we can talk about more of that next month. You know, about <laughs> some of the other preparations, because uh, more people will be indoors. You know, winter is coming. Yes. You know, and I don't mean Game of, Game of Thrones, you know, but winter is coming. We'll all be indoors and there's other things to start. Uh, considering which we didn't get to today. So right that into next month. Well, and that goes back to my thing, ventilation, 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 right? Mm, yeah. All about ventilation. And when you get inside in the winter, people have a lot less of that. So we can talk about that next month. Yes. And we have come to the end of our show. We have 30 seconds left. Regina, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Um, you know, we did have a little bit of good news in, in a couple of spots, but uh, you know, We'll, we'll, we'll hopefully have a little bit more for next month. But thank you. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. I love it every month. It's, making, it's one of the highlights of my 30 days. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> so thank you once again, Regina, until next month. And uh, see you at DRJ, actually, in the meantime. That's virtually, right. Virtually. Virtually. So we'll see virtually. you. Great. And, and to everybody listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for preparing for the unexpected please tune in for another edition featuring your host alex bullock next thursday at 10 a.m pacific time and 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel we'll see you here next week